We are so honored to have our next guest on the podcast, Karen Sebasta, executive producer at CBC Sports. Thank you, Karen, so much for speaking with me and thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Awesome. Karen, you're a trailblazer within the sport industry. It's over 30 years of experience. I just want to name a few uh, highlights. Nominated four times for the Canadian Screen Awards, including Best Live Sports Event in 2020. First woman to produce an Olympic show in Canada, Society of 2014. First female sport executive at CBC. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> amazing. Funny how that all happens, doesn't it? You're just you're just rolling along, doing what you love. And then all of a sudden, there's these mile markers and things happen. So kind of cool when you look back. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to ask you, Karen, to start off our conversation. Were there any challenges you faced coming up within the sport industry? I think that's an interesting question now that sort of my answer has changed every sort of five years. I think every job has challenges. Every person has challenges, whether it's a crappy boss or long hours or a difficult assignment. You know, of course, there were challenges. I think what everyone drives at that question when they ask me as a woman is, you know, a woman in the sports world, man's environment, you know, were there challenges? And I guess what I'm saying now, after 30 years, I'm saying, well, I didn't really see it that way. I saw my challenges as the same challenges as everybody else starting out. You know, you wanted to be good. You wanted a good assignment. You wanted to impress somebody. You needed to have the assignments to prove you could do something you were pushing all the time. Um, Did I have to push harder than the guy beside me? I don't know that I ever thought about it when I was in the moment, you know, it was competitive and you just wanted to be the best. And I never for once thought I had to work harder than the guy beside me. I think as time goes on, then you start to realize, well, wait a minute, it took me longer to get somewhere than it did my male counterparts. They might've been doing things in their thirties that I was doing in my forties, you know? So did that, was that part of the problem? I mean, another challenge was I had a lot of great men as mentors and a lot of people just don't retire from this business. A lot of people just keep working well into their sixties. So if people don't retire and don't leave, well, where can I go up the ladder? So I think there's challenges but it's interesting how to define it, you know, and I certainly don't feel victimized and held back in any way. Um, but I think reflectively speaking now, I think my challenges were just very similar to lots of people, male or female, that came into the sport media business in the late 80s and into the 90s when it was a huge business. But there was only a couple of players, Global, CTV and and CBC. And, you know, I started at TSN and it was a little cable company that nobody really cared about. So there was no challenges working there. I could do whatever I wanted, you know? So again, there was pros and cons, right? So it's an interesting question and I'm not sure I answer it anymore because the simple answer is yes, of course there were challenges, but Mike, the challenges were not only about being a female, the challenges were working nights and weekends sports is nights and weekends. When people are at home watching great sporting moments, it's probably a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon. And so I'm working. So the challenges are raising a family and keeping a marriage and keeping balance. Those are the real challenges. 
And Karen, with all the roles that you've had within the sport industry, just to name a few, you know, associate director, executive producer, senior producer, what's the difference between all these roles that you have in the industry? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is that every job in television production is important. It doesn't matter what, where you are on the food chain. If you don't do your job well, the whole thing crumbles. So you're raised and brought up to believe that every job you do has a level of importance and a level of involvement. The difference between all the jobs is, you know, when do I get to go, okay, the show is done and I'm just going to, you know, go for a beer now, or I'm going to go home and do whatever versus the job stays with me. And I would say that that's the difference when you're in a technical position or you're in a junior production position. A lot of the times you just, you're there for the show, you do what you do, and then it's over and you get on with your personal life. As you become a senior producer and an executive and a leader, like you really are on the clock all the time. And you really have to learn how to separate work and life because a lot of the decisions are about money, people's lives, you know, planning, 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 planning. So you could be working all the time and, you know, that's not healthy. We know that. If anything, COVID showed us working all the time is not good. So you have to learn to separate. So the higher you go up the ladder, definitely the more responsibility you have, definitely um, more people your decisions have impact on, and definitely you have less balance and you have to really work at separating yourself from your life and from work. Right. I want to ask you, Karen, what did you wish you knew before starting your career in the sport industry? I guess the thing, I guess the thing for everybody is always about patience and that, you know, you have to give yourself time. Things take time. And it's interesting, you know, you do a job, this, there's sort of a saying, you do a job the first time and you're sort of just learning how to survive, right? You do the job a second time and now you sort of feel like you have a handle on it and you can really contribute and bring something to the table. You do a job a third time and now you're already bored and sort of thinking about the job the next job, you know, so you're not in a thing for very long before you're thinking about the next thing. And what that kind of does is it, it stops you from sort of living in the moment and living in the present. And I think about all the things I've done and all the places I've been. And it's like a whirling dervish, like you're, you're there on the ground for four days for four weeks, like, and you just are through it and you're on to the next thing. And you don't really take that time to stop and go, oh my goodness, I'm here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so, you know, when you look back, you're like, oh my God, really? I was in Athens for six weeks. Is that how long I was? You know, you don't remember it. So I think I would, I tell people now, really enjoy what you're doing and be patient and really try to live in the present a little bit, especially to young people. Don't keep worrying about the next job, the next thing, the next thing. And I want to be this like just be where you are and be in the moment and really learn and take value from what you're doing because actually you're not you're not in these stages very long it does go along quicker not fast enough usually for young people but really it does go quickly cuz here i am 30 years later and now it's scary like oh my goodness it's all behind me yikes <laughs> do you ever look to the future karen uh, of oh, your career? Oh, yeah. I think there's always stages. And I think you make deals with yourself. You say, if I get this high, I'll be fine. 
So certainly I obviously wanted to be an executive producer. It's the highest title we can get at CBC as far as a production person um, and without going into sort of management. And that's what people say to me, oh, you know, do you want to be department head or you want to be this? And I go, no, I'm good. Like executive producer is more than I thought. Like at one point, I just wanted to be a live truck producer. And when I got that and then I was doing that for a decade, I'm like, "Ah, no, I want to be a senior and an exec. So I'm exec is all I ever wanted. And so now I look at, well, what can I do as the next chapter? So it's not about the climb anymore. I don't need to climb and be higher, but it's about the projects. What What's out there that I would like to work on now? Because the next chapter has really got to be about what I want to do and value. And I'm not saying everything I've done isn't what I wanted to do, but I think it's, you recognize you have a choice now to be involved in something that may not be sports. Like it's, what do you want to do with your time? Time is very precious. So. So I think about it. Absolutely. I got a long list of things I want to explore when I retire from this chapter. That's awesome. In a few moments, Karen, I want to ask you about the sport industry. But first, I have to ask you about the Tokyo Paralympics coming up and the Tokyo Summer Olympics. How's the planning process going? Are you enjoying kind of working from home and planning this at the same time? Uh, you know, loaded question. I don't know that anybody really is enjoying working from home. I think uh, we all did work from home, you know, at some point, a few days here and there, because you sometimes it's easier to get work done. I think nobody expected that I got to work at home now, the whole time and forever. And part of what we do in media is we talk to people and we want to see people in person. And, you know, only so many Zoom calls you can have. And it's that water cooler conversation. It's that hallway conversation on the way to the bathroom. You know, we're social people. And part of what we do creatively is get in a room together and come up with ideas and it's way harder. Um, So that said, we've been planning the Olympics and what people don't realize is you don't just, you know, you can, you get the rights to an Olympics five, six years out, two years out, you're deciding already what your commitment is on site, how many people, what commentators, what, you know, camera placements. And then a year out, we're full on a year out working on things, planning our shows. What sports are we going to cover? What features are we going to do? So I'm a year out planning. What happened with Tokyo and the postponement of those games is it really stopped our planning because we didn't know what to plan for, because we needed to know what what were they going to let us do in Tokyo? How many camera people can you have? So how many people can be in a mix zone interviewing people? So we really had to stop planning. And the reason we stopped planning is because we're senior people and we know what we can just why make up stuff that may not happen. So until February, when the Tokyo organizing committee sort of released their playbook and said, here's how we're going to put on the games, then we could react to that and start our planning. So think about that. February is only six months to the Olympics, seven, eight months to Paralympics. And then we have the Beijing Winter Olympics, which we're already a year out and we're already shooting for. We're already planning. So our team of seriously like five, six senior leaders are planning for Olympics and Paralympics in six months, less than a year out. So now the work is crazy. (laughs) It seems like a hectic schedule. 
Karen. And I've, you know, have lots of conversations with different people within the sport industry. The one term that comes up a lot is experience. In terms of a viewer for the upcoming Olympics or the Paralympics, will that change at all because of the times that we're in? You mean, as far as what the viewer sees at home, I'm going to say right. no. What the viewer sees at home, whether they're on traditional media on a television or they're looking at social or streaming, no, nothing's going to change from that perspective. They're going to see sport. They're going to see re reaction from Canadian athletes. What will look different is our hosts will be here in Toronto in the studio, but they're on a set. And so if we were there in Tokyo, you wouldn't really know where that set is anyway. So it may, with green screen and all sorts of stuff, you really won't know where they are. It will, you know, but they will be here in Toronto and our commentators that do play by play and color commentate and our analysts, they're actually not going to be over there in Tokyo. They'll be calling things off tube and off a screen and they'll be in Toronto. So there's a bit of magic there, you know, that we will make it feel like you're there, but we're not there. And that's one of the hardest challenges, I think, for a lot of commentators. Someone like myself as a, as a senior producer who's going to produce a live show, I'd be here anyway. But I think that's hard. So it, it won't look really different. I don't think the Canadian audience will really know. It'll be very subtle. But uh, we'll know. We know as broadcasters. Right. Awesome. So I want to move to the sport industry, Karen. Because you're such a trailblazer, what advice to women aspiring to work in the sports and TV broadcasting industry would you give? I, I look at the analytics for the podcast, and th there are women listening, and I want them to hear from such a trailblazer. <laughs> well, thank you. That's nice to say. I think my advice is the same for women or men. Uh, my advice about getting involved in media, whether the entry-level jobs are abundant, whether you're working for a sports federation or you're working um, digitally or socially now, there's a lot of avenues to get into the business. I think my advice is always this. Learn about your own self. Are you a storyteller or are you a craftsperson? You know, again, those jobs to do graphics and editing and camera people, like those are crafts. And you to hone your craft, you've got to be willing to put in the hours. Um, but if you're a storyteller, you're more of a writer and a broadcaster, presenter or producer, and you got to hone those skills as well. So my advice to male or females is that, again, you got to be willing to put in the work and hone the craft. It doesn't just come naturally. People get frustrated. Oh, but I've done this once or twice. Why aren't I great? Because like any craft, whether it's playing a musical instrument or playing a sport, you take time. You got to develop skills. And I don't think people understand that the media business is a craft industry and it takes time to develop those skills so start slowly start doing one thing well and then build on those skills and the second thing is listen sports is nights and weekends and holidays I've spent more of my life you know on New Year's Eve in airports you know playing New Year's Day games hockey and and more summers away from my family than I care to, you know, wish for anybody. So if you want to come in and play in this sandbox, you're going to have to be prepared to make some choices. And there's some tough choices out there. Um, I'm proof you can have a family, you can have children, you can have a marriage, you can survive it. Uh, and my husband works in sport media as well. But, you know, you, there's some sacrifices and there's some tough, 
tough choices you have to make and be okay with that. It's okay, you know? So that's my advice to people. Hone your craft, patient, and know that you're going to have to make some tough choices. And it's, and it's okay. You can make those tough choices. And when people ask you, my favorite line is people used to say to me all the time, oh my God, you're going to Athens for six, seven weeks. What's happening to your kids? And I used to say jokingly, well, I put them in a box in the basement and put some food there. Like, <laughs> what do you think is happening with my children? They have a father. They, we have daycare. We make some choices. And, you know, I went to I went to Sydney Olympics for seven weeks when my youngest son was six months old and left him. And people say, oh, my God, how could you do that? Because my six month old baby was well cared for. And and I wasn't nursing because back then you had to go back to work after six months, mat leave. And he's fine. And when my son was 10 and 11 and 12, that's when I chose to maybe travel less because I wanted to be around for my kids as they were starting to, you know, get older, get involved in things. My little baby was fine. But a lot of people looked at me very negatively for being leaving a six month old baby for six weeks. How could I do that? But at the end of the day, well, I was but I was around when my kid was 13 to take him to hockey. And I was there on Saturday going, who are you playing with? You know what I mean? So I made a choice. And I, you know, touch wood, I think it's all worked out okay, but it was my choice and I was prepared to live with the the consequences. And at the moment, I didn't know, but I made the choice and I don't regret going to Sydney. And I ask my son all the time, you know, hey, does that, does that, did you remember that? He goes, no. How would he remember at six months? He wouldn't remember. He was too young. He was too young. And he was properly cared for, you know, so anyway. That's my, that's my advice. Patience uh, and hone your craft, develop skills and know you are going to have to make some tough choices to be successful, but that's okay. On the topic of craft, Karen, when I started doing this and I told you who's our creative director and uh, who's currently studying at Ryerson, uh, I, I said at the beginning of like podcasting and doing this, like I thought I sucked, like just watching myself Compared to now, you know, 37 episodes in, my communications level went from, you know, average, I think, to here just because of the experience, right? And I appreciation for broadcasters. I didn't never knew how hard this was until I did it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell said it takes 10,000 hours, right, to be mm-hmm. an expert in something. And I think people don't realize that it takes that long. And I talk about this all the time when I'm teaching is that, you know, as a broadcaster communicator, you have to know where you're going to start. And know where you're going to end. You can be organic in the middle and let things flow. But in a conversation, there's a start and there's a finish. And a lot of times, go back and listen to interviews and listen to things and how people just ramble and drivel off at the end because they haven't thought about where am I starting and where am I finishing? And then let whatever happens organically in the middle happen. And I think you're right. The only way you get good at that is you just keep doing it, right? You just keep doing it. And every time, it's one more box. And so again, you know, can I do an Olympics? Think about this. There's some, as a live, a live traditional media, traditional television producer, I'm going to do the Olympic AM morning show from three in the morning till noon, nine hours. And it's all the live sport. How do I plan and do that? Having not been in a studio for over a year. Well, 
it's because I have thousands of hours under my belt. And then maybe the first hour will be rough, but it'll, it all comes back because I have that experience. I couldn't do it if this was my first gig. It, it'd be overwhelming. But again, that's why I, don't ha I didn't have the job 15 years ago because I didn't have the hours. So, you know, again, when we talked about challenges, as young people, we all want to do something and I want to do it now because I've done something three times. So I'm good enough. Are you really good enough? Are you really good enough? And you can be confident, but you have to have humility. That's another piece of advice. How do you stay humble and know that you always can learn and there's always a potential for growth? You know, that's a tough one. So by no means do I think I'm going to go into these Olympics and Paralympics. And certainly as the exec of the Paras, I can only put people in a position to succeed know that I will do my best to lead people and make the right decisions. But I'm also prepared that, that people make mistakes, including myself. And you know what, we'll just, we'll just brush it off and keep going and learn from it and not, you know, beat ourselves up about it, trying to be perfect because nobody's perfect. Right. hundred percent. Two final questions for you, Karen. The first one I have is what are your thoughts on female sports and the development of women in the sporting industry right now? Women's sports has women's come a, sports long, is, yeah. a long way. They're, the women's sports are on the radar. Women athletes are advocates now for themselves and their sports. We've seen that with the NH, um, NHWL, like the Women's Hockey League is developed. We saw the WNBA is huge and has done a whole bunch of great things. Women's sports in an amateur sport or Olympic sport you know, Rio was dominated by our women athletes. Um, Tokyo will be dominated by our women athletes. So, you know, some of the greatest women sports athletes, Lindsey Vaughn and um, Venus Williams and, you know, Serena Williams and all these, you, there's tons of great examples of fabulous women athletes that have broke ground. So I think it's in good place. I think there's lots of people paying attention. And I think it'll be, I think it's fine. <laughs> women broadcasters, there's tons of women broadcasters on air, all over the place, reporting, sidelines, mix zones. There's lots of women out there, uh, writers. So I think from a career path, there's lots of room for women to be involved. Production behind the scenes, there's less women. It's still an area that concerns me. Why? Don't I have a long list of women behind me? I've been teaching for 15 years. Where are all the women producers? And they all end up drifting off and going into communications. They want PR work, marketing. Production is hard. And why is it hard? The environment might have been toxic, but it's less toxic now. Um, but it's the hours and the commitment and the travel. And so there are women out there, but not a lot. Every network's got one <laughs> and the U S has some strong women and UK British sports, but there's still not a lot of women in production. And I, and I, I keep pushing and working on that. There's some great women, cameramen, camera women, um, technical directors. There's a lot of directors country has some very women directors in sports, but I think we could use more women on the production side of things. And I don't know if that's going to change because women gravitate towards factional television, house and garden television, news, news is dominated by women. So it might just be sports is the last place for men to, to live and breathe. And 
that's let them have it and they'll be as there's always some women involved but maybe not as much as other areas i don't know that that's a problem that just might be the way it is karen you mentioned the end of our end of the conversation so i want to end off with this as a well-known figure within the sport industry are you confident or unconfident of where the sport industry is going in general uh, because i'm aspiring sport industry professional i find this fascinating I, I would say at this moment today, as of today, I'm confident that the industry is in way better shape than it was two years ago. And even the pandemic has made me see some things there. The, the young person coming in, young people coming in, their ideas and things they want to do um, are, are fabulous. They don't see color the way my generation did, they don't see um, ability and disability. You know, I think there's a very strong narrative to break down a very, very lot of, I think a lot of things that happened in my day were a little bit of tokenism. Oh, let's put a woman on the sideline or, oh, it's Black History Month. Let's do a story on a Black hockey player. You know, there was a lot of sort of tokenism. Um, now I feel like it's real value. There's real conversation. There's real desire to hire people that look different and sound different. So, you know, if we thought being a white, white Anglo-Saxon male was difficult 10 years ago, it's even harder now. Being a white Anglo-Saxon woman doesn't tick a box either. So, you know, there's going to be other trailblazers coming along here now and other voices coming along. So I'm confident that it's in a great place. I think, I think the jury's out on what happens going forward. How much does it change? Does it, is it just a moment in time where there's a difference and does it all spin back to how it was? Cause people get tired <laughs> of, you know, championing a cause or does it significantly change forever? You know, and when, when people like TSN, that recently did the all-female NBA Raptors game. Was there a woman producer? I'm going to tell you no. Was there a woman director? The control room director was a woman, and one other technical person was a woman. But, yeah, out on the front, the play-by-play -play and the analyst and the people on the studio, they were women. But the people making the show were predominantly still men. So I ask you all, is that going to make the stories different if the men are behind the scenes still driving it and the women are in front of the camera? Does that make us tell a different story? Or is it people like me when I'm behind the scenes and I decide what Canada is going to see and I decide what story we're going to tell and I decide whose voice we're going to use? Does, does, that, does that make it different because I'm a woman and I'm making the decisions, right? So I, it's a question. I don't know the answer. I don't know that just putting women on camera makes a difference because CDC has been, has women play by play people forever. Women hosts forever. We've been, you can go back in history and look at some of the great legend women that were hosting Olympic shows like Terry Leibel, Brenda Irving's been doing play by play for years. Andy Petrillo does stuff. So one day Sportsnet does a hockey, all women's and TSN does one basketball game as a spectacle. Yes, congratulations. 
but does it change it when it just goes back the next week and it's the same people doing the games? It, it was the cycle that wasn't a commitment. So I leave you with this. CBC Sports has committed to 50% of their content on all platforms being women's sports, women's voices, women involved in production. The core of my Olympic team is predominantly women. You know, so is that how stories get told differently? I, I say yes. It's the people behind the scenes making the decisions. Reporters tell stories, yes, but a producer says, go ahead and tell that story. So I think that's what we need to see in this country. If we want to really see real change, we need to see a different kind of commitment, not just that outward facing, look, I got a woman hosting the show. Um, they got to keep doing those things on a more regular basis, not a spectacle. When it's women's soccer and we have an all women's panel, is that the right thing? Or should there still be a man on that panel? Because a man talking about women's soccer Having your number one male analyst talk about women's soccer elevates women's soccer, doesn't it? If you put a bunch of women on it and the men aren't involved, then doesn't it say, well, the men don't really care. It's the women's thing. Let them do it. The great story is it was in, when it's International Women's Day, yes, I've led the conversation many times. This year for International Women's Day, I said, I'm not doing it. Let a man lead the conversation on International Women's Day. Don't make it. It's, it's, you know, it's my thing because I'm the woman. I might need to be at the table. But again, that's how we need to show it, like show that the men in the room are saying we commit to women's sports and we commit to the women's angle. And that's what the leadership at CBC is doing and, and other places. But the, the moment that that happens more at some of the other networks and we stop focusing on hockey all the time in this country, there's some amazing stories out there, and but we got to get off the hockey bandwagon a little bit and the hockey cult. <laughs> there you go. I've preached, and maybe I've converted some listener out there. <laughs> Karen, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, I really enjoy this conversation. I think you're spot on. And all the best in the future. I hope to stay in touch and just I just think you're great. Oh, that's, that's very sweet. And thank you for having me and good luck to you. And you, Vince, who wants to get into sport management, now you see that where does the power lie? It lies in the people that do the programming or the people that do the hiring. And when you someday perhaps are in an organization, it's you need to be the person at the table that says we should hire a woman or a person of color or somebody not because of that, but because they still bring great journalism and great storytelling or great skill to the project you know it, it's still part of that too but you, you know hopefully you'll be in that decision making position and you're the person that's going to affect change right you're the future <laughs> i hope so karen i hope so karen right. Sebesta, ladies and gentlemen thank you for watching thank you for listening uh, go to our new website www.sportchat.biz one more time www.sportchat.biz articles our podcasts are there take a look at that we'll see you next week bye-bye thank you